We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a Fools are crying about crashing out of the Europa League. I'm celebrating having no midweek football to stop us from qualifying for next season's Europa League. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. That's right. Look, this is the good news. Now that we don't have to play twice a week, we can concentrate on getting back into the Europa League places and play in the Europa League again next season. And it's the circle of life. Um, Look, I got to level with you. I am emotional about this even the day after and so I find this to be the challenge obviously our podcast I like to think takes a more analytical approach towards things we try to examine lineups and tactics and data and and keep a level head and an analytical approach I think there is a time and a place for also just flipping out which is what I'm going to do so let me introduce the people who are not going to flip out but I just want you to know my coping strategy for this degree of pain and anxiety and frustration is to kind of flip out a little. If you want just me flipping out for half an hour, by the way, I did put out, uh, we did a live show, free for everybody, of just me, post-match meltdown, uh, and that is available for patrons if you need that kind of catharsis. And if you do, what on earth is wrong with you? Uh, Paul's on Twitter at Pause With My Pants. Thanks, Paws. Woohoo! Tim's on Twitter at Stoberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. Clive's on Twitter at Clive BAFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Tim, I'm going to start with you. And I think... I want to start first with just the emotion of the end of this. And, you know, Mm. look, the reason I think it is difficult to analyze the game intellectually and tactically and so on and so forth is that it just hurt so much. And the way we went out makes it difficult to divorce the emotion from from the occasion. I would say two things really influenced me in this, Tim. One, I got to admit, I cannot explain this. 
because I should know better. I went into this game without it even crossing my mind that we could crash out. It didn't occur to me. I, I know that's dumb, but like we won the away leg. Arsenal Football Club doesn't crash out at the round of 32 in the Europa League. We just don't. Um, so it didn't occur to me. And then at the end with the Aubameyang bicycle kick, you know, the emotion of that, the high of that, the low of them scoring from an error from Leno, from an error from Socrates, and the high of Aubameyang surely winning it, and then the low of realizing he hadn't won it because from the TV angle at first, I actually thought it hit the back of the net for a brief second. So, I mean, for you, where does this rank in your memory? How far do you have to go back in terms of the gut punch, the emotional sucker punch of this game, and how low did it drag you? So it... It it's not as low as like Chelsea 2004, definitely not 2006. I don't know for, for some reason. Um, 2007, we went out of the Champions League to PSV Eindhoven. Yeah. Oh, can I just stop you for a second? When they won yeah. the corner, because it's just ironic you mentioned that. Yeah. When they won the corner, I tweeted PSV ellipse because that was the Alex header in the 83rd minute. I remember yeah. that like it was yesterday. So sorry, I want to interrupt because that was exactly on my mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that was a real. But this was kind of similar to that, um, really. But just by virtue of the fact that that was the Champions League and this is the Europa League, it wasn't quite. And also because we'd been to the final the year before, um, the PSV one, and I thought we'd really turned a corner in Europe. And then it was like, nope, that was just a one-time thing going to the Champions League <laughs> final. That's not going to be happening again. Um, but yeah, this this was low. The, the thing is about this, right, was for me, this wasn't a roller coaster. I, I Like you... I completely admit I completely underestimated Olympiacos probably at all points when we drew them I just thought okay yep we'll we'll beat them and then as soon as Lacazette scores in the first legs like yep this is the hard bit of the job done um and but even though you know we played quite badly and the game went as far as it did at no point did I think Olympiacos were going to win it. The, the only thing that crossed my mind was, well, if this goes to penalties, it's kind of a coin toss who wins it. But at no point did I think that they were going to score and win. Um, and, and even when they went, I had, I had a conversation with friends at half time, and we were going, God, this is boring, isn't it? And I, like I even said, I was like, I, I mean, I don't think they're going to score. They don't look dangerous at all. And of course, they score from a set piece and you go, well, OK, they've scored from a set piece, which is really bad, but they still don't look dangerous. They still don't look to me like they're going to cut us open and at some point we'll get a chance and we'll win. And so, you know, even when it in the second half of extra time, I thought, no, they look knackered. They had they had a guy in their back four who looks like I look at the end of a five-a-side game, like, you know, socks rolled right down. He couldn't walk anymore. He'd kind of dispensed with all sense of, like, positioning. It's just, look, I've got, I've just got to sit in the penalty area and hack the ball away. Like, he couldn't walk. Mm. And um, and I just thought, we, we will wear them down. We will get them. And then Aubameyang scores that goal, and I just thought, yep, that's what I thought would happen. Wow, this has been a bit tougher than I thought, but there it is. And sometimes you've just got to struggle through it, and that's kind of fine. And and we struggled through a few rounds last season as well. And so the 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 goal at the death from Olympiacos, yeah, was very cutting because I didn't think it would happen. I just I just thought, you know, as soon as that Abamian goal goal goes in, I thought, right, yeah, you've you know you've had you've had your like your set piece goal. You haven't really attacked us that much. I mean, I know they hit the bar to be fair in extra time, but. That was kind of a long shot. I just thought, no, we've just got to stay patient. We're not playing well, but we'll get there. And so when that went in, um, 
yeah that that was that was incredibly tough and um you know just to kind of i guess repeat the anecdote elliot i just told you off mic my my two mates who i go with they kind of rage quit and walked out at that stage and i <laughs> i i slumped they're like because they're rage quitters right they're they're like fuck it i'm off i'm off i need to walk out i need to get out of here because otherwise i'm going to do so much swearing that i'm going to get my season ticket taken off of me mm-hmm. whereas I'm, I'm much more i'm i'm an introvert i mean i'm introspective i'm the slump in your seat kind of guy <laughs> and um and that's what i did and then because i'd been thinking for so long in the game that oh if olympiacos score we've got to score two and uh, it's the weird thing about the away goals rule right I, as soon as olympiacos scored that i thought oh well it's over because we've got to score twice and then i thought oh no I, I think i literally just looked at the scoreboard when we took center because i was contemplating going once i'd you know they'd had the celebrations which took ages and i'd done enough slumping in my seat and i thought oh shall shall i get ahead of the queue and go here and then i looked at the scoreboard and i thought oh no we only need one goal and i, I still didn't think we'd get it i still thought it was too late but i thought well I'll, I'll stay because we only need one and and you know we we hadn't been able to create a clear chance all night you know the the goal we scored was not a clear chance it was a super goal and then literally right at the end we actually get something in the six yard box and uh, i mean it, it all happened so quickly i could barely digest it but mm. yeah it's it's kind of a double it's kind of a double gut punch because it's almost like conceding again um when you miss a chance like that in the last second and you think i mean how amazing would that have been if he'd have put that in how, like how incredible like, what an incredible feeling that would have been to concede in the 119th minute and then get a winner in the 122nd yeah. and uh yeah and it, it just felt like the gut punch of conceding all over again so um i i guess probably the prestige of the game wasn't quite there to match up to some of those champions league knockouts but the way it happened was um as arsenal as it could be yeah and, and i mean it, it is let's put it this way sometimes the fans feel the pain in a way the players don't. All you have to do is look at Aubameyang in that post-match interview, and you can see that it hurt them too. And I mean, you know, look, I am not one of these people who goes over the top on giving people or players credit for things they're supposed to do. I mean, he's a highly paid professional. He is supposed to go talk to the press. Like, that's part of his job. But, like, fair play to him. He he gave that post-match interview. He's clearly hurting. You could see what it meant to all the players. They're all We're all clearly hurting. And I think the pain that they felt is not because of their concern about the Europa League, but I do think it just shows how gutting that game was and how maybe much like myself, they never really anticipated that it would end that way. And Clive, I want to start at the end. We can work our way back to the beginning, but I I mean, it is just one of these things about Arsenal that for whatever the reason, for many years now, we have had players and circumstances where when the pressure is really on and when it matters most, we screw up. We make errors. We make mistakes. We are the uh, architects of our own downfall, as they say. I think Aubameyang should win that game spectacularly. And then, to be fair, there is a Leno error. There's a Socrates error. And to be fair, there's, I guess you'd say, an Aubameyang error in that he should score. I mean, I think XG has it as a 30% chance. I think it is just ever so slightly behind him, which causes his uh, contact with it to come ever so slightly late, which is why it goes wide. That's probably overanalyzing it. But Clive, I mean, how do you fix this? How do you fix players who, when the pressure is ratcheted up, 
find ways to fail. I mean, I could not help. Someone said, and I don't know if this is true, guys. You'll have to fact check it, that this was the anniversary of the League Cup final that we lost to Birmingham. Um, You know, and if that's the case, it is a cruel reminder that just this has been a team for a long time that in key moments has a way to to make mistakes. And maybe that's not fair on a team that has won three FA Cups in the intervening years. But, Clive, what do you think of the mistakes that I listed and, and the reasoning behind it and the analysis that those three mistakes are what cost us the game in the end. I think, you know, Leno is definitely the non-Obamiang player of the season, probably. But if we want to be uncharitable, the Chelsea game at home is a game I think we win if he doesn't make an error, and it's our biggest league game of the season. It's the one that I think has us in a top four dead heat right now if we win it. And this is our second most important game of the season. He's made a huge error there as well. So how do you sort of rank those errors and explain that lack of mental toughness in the in the key moments? It's a, it's a tough one, right? So from a from a coaching perspective, what you hope to get in your players is to get them thinking clearly under pressure. You heard me use the term teacup before, thinking clearly under pressure. And it's been an issue f- for Arsenal for many, many years. We remember them mostly because they, the defeats are painful. Other people may not remember the issues about it as closely as we do. But it's been something that's been wired into our club for many, many years. But particularly in recent years, and you often find, and it's a terrible thing to say, but the players with slightly less quality are the ones that don't think clearly when the pressure really hits. And so if you just take the last 15, 20 years, I don't seem to remember, Even though, I will say this, even during the peak Wenger years, I felt we underachieved. We didn't quite handle the pressure at the moment very well. And that was a team that should have won three titles on the Toronto European Cup, and we didn't. Mm-hmm. We underachieved. So we're wired this way. And I think it's part of the exciting things what Arteta is trying to do. He's trying to rewire us. And the way you do that is you lift the standards in everything that you do. You lift the standards in training in particular. You make it more intense. And what you find then is your base level becomes higher than it used to be. You're operating at a higher level. We're going to lose games. Players are going to make mistakes. That's it. But you can just try to mitigate that by your actions, how you set people up how you make people strong in certain positions, how you have depth in squads so you can rotate people when they're tired. All of these variables that help you get a level of consistency on the pitch. But I will say this, and I'm not just sitting here in the background waiting for this moment, but I think we all agree. Well, I I was quite hard on the players in, in the Emery, towards the end of the Emery era, and I've been pleasantly surprised at the new level that Arteta's gotten to and how he's gone about it and how he's put the structure in place. Didn't see that level of clarity and improvement coming. But you often hear me write and talk about limits. A player has limits. And under pressure, your default behaviours reappear. And there we were again last night. I'm waiting for the injury report. But Mustafi did not quite complete the game. Tick. That always happens when the pressure hits. Did you see what Arteta said about it, by the way, at the end? I I read I thought, between I the lines, mate. Yeah, I thought it was a little bit of a shot at him, maybe, because he goes, uh, he may be a hamstring, or maybe it was just cramp. You know, like, he doesn't say, oh, he, he pulled his hamstring. He's like, it may have just been cramp, but he told me he couldn't play anymore. That's what he said, which, that's kind of pointed, a little bit. Yeah, well, you know, he was in the groove. He was he was playing quite well. And there's, <laughs> there's this, we, we definitely missed him when he went off. Um David Louise, under pressure, when he gets tired, drops deep. Tick, done. Right, so 
Granite Shaka, I don't want to blame him, but I thought he was he is our tactical leader and he leads that team on the pitch. But from the first early minutes, he was strangely inaccurate at the most basic passes. It's a really bad game from you. Which told me he was tired. He never gets a rest. He was tired. He wasn't quite switched on to the game. He was fighting for his game. But I felt he turned away from many forward-running opportunities, and he wasn't the only one. Right? And I feel that got us into a malaise. Um, there's a limit to what Tobias can do physically. There's a limit, I'm afraid to say, what Hector Bellerin can do at the moment physically. And and Saka's an 18-year-old, and he's having to do do the job of a man out there. And I just felt... We just reach our limits, and and then the old failings come up, and then of course then we can question the mental strength. I think Tim's point there is one to hold on to. If Abamyang scored that goal, the wave this club would be on this morning would be unbelievable. It would be absolutely unbelievable. Everyone talk about mental strength. Everyone talk about this new resilience. Have Arsenal finally turned a corner? I mean, can you imagine it to go down and then come back? That's the sort of things that other clubs do, not us. Not like that. We were that close and we just snatched it and we just snatched defeat from the jaws of victory. So that's who we are, I'm afraid. Mm. And what it's going to do is going to reset us, Elliot, to go back to what we all secretly know. We have a job of renewal upcoming and it's just about how we do it. Yeah, and I, I think, look, I want to be clear about something, okay? This hit me really, really hard. And so some of the things that I have to say about this performance, I cannot divorce from the emotion of the moment, even a day later. But, Paul, I think before we get into the individual performances and certainly a soporific first half that I think has to be looked at in terms of our intention to go out and win that tie, I think you have to talk about Arteta for a second here. I am still a 1,000% behind him, love that we appointed him, still excited about a lot of what he's doing. It is totally fair if you are someone who does not feel like what I just outlined. If you want to look at this as a a black mark on his CV, as a first legitimate question about his qualification, his readiness, his competence, you absolutely have the right to do it. Arsenal Football Club should not crash out of the Europa League at the round of 32. Period. They shouldn't. Look at the clubs that crash out of the Europa League at the round of 32. We're not one of those clubs. We're not supposed to be. We shouldn't be. We are a ninth place club that just went out in the round of 32. Wolves, one place above us, one round ahead of us, and oh, by the way, playing the team that we just lost to. You cannot crash out this point. You certainly can't do it having won the away leg with a much better team. You cannot do it. And I think, you know, if if people want to point to Emery having a big, big first leg lead against Barcelona in the Champions League and blowing it away as something that will follow him around, Arteta's early enough in his career that he can overcome this. Of course, he'd be an idiot to say anything else. But this is a black mark. This is something you can't, you cannot lose to Olympiacos in the round of 32 of the Europa League with Arsenal, not having one away. Um, I think there are legitimate now criticisms that you could make in terms of his substitution patterns, the players he trusts. Should Joe Willock be coming on late in the Europa League knockout tie to be someone who has to rescue a game? Is he good enough to be in that position? Did Lacazette deserve to stay on as long as he did in the slump of form he's in and the way he's looking? Um, with a tired team, did the changes come quick enough? Has you know has the has the approach maybe needed to be tweaked a little? I mean, these are all fair questions. And to be fair, I mean, I I am still behind him. I want to be clear about that. But I I don't think you can get knocked out of the the Europa League at this stage and not at least bring up the coach. I think you have to. So, Paul, do you want to just wave that away with a swipe of the hand and say it is a totally unreasonable point, or or is it fair 
to to suggest that this is you know this is a black mark. This is something he has to wear. So I, I wouldn't just say I'm still behind him. I'm just behind him. Sure. Um, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, of course. <laughs> and I'm I'm not really trying to say you were trying to say anything, but it is it's interesting how we are, isn't it? Uh, that that we're just um, there's a there's a psychology that comes with when do we turn, even at this early stage? And I'm just like, and we all struggle with this, uh, and we struggle with each other's reactions to it, or each other's. Uh, perspectives on football. We all want different things out of it. I can relate to Tim slumping in the chair uh, or in his seat for this game. You know, we all grieve differently. And I basically roll up in a ball for about 24 to 48 hours, try to avoid kicking the dog. Um, And we just, you know, I'm not a ranter or a raver. I don't feel like getting on there. I got your back. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But, But it's not right or wrong. It's just... You just do what you do because that's how you feel. And then we I all calm that, yeah. down. And, uh, 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 because we're in football for different reasons. We, uh, and we know it because of how we react to players and transfers and money and this. You know, and some people are like, players are all about the money. And other people are like, defending the players. And we're just, we're just different psychological profiles and we get different things out of it. This game, you know, when I look at Arteta, like, we all berate each other with with statistics about, but that's a small sample size. This is a sample size of one. That is the definition of a small sample size. I don't actually think a sample size of zero is any smaller. So, yes, people are entitled to project into the future because that's what you have to do. You're basically looking at this guy and saying, ah, I know so much about this that I can tell this is a pattern of one that will fulfill itself in the future. I, now, where you, I think you had some fair, very fair critiques on him because it's not a sample size of one in terms of substitutions. So if you have concerns over the substitutions, and I think there's plenty of material in this game uh, for all the reasons you talked about, you could def- I definitely feel he needs to get more decisive uh, and maybe make some better decisions. He has Freddie up in the stands looking at the game from on high um, to get a broad perspective. And he has people around him who can give him advice and give him a, a prod in terms of substitutions, etc. if he's too caught up in the game. But I would definitely, uh, I can't argue with somebody who has issues with his substitutions. I, I'm not sure he got it right in this game. Um, you know, it's, these, it's just a, it's a low-scoring sport. One goal not only changes everything, it changed everything in this. We shat ourselves. To go basically the full 90 minutes without scoring uh, was unacceptable for this team. But it's also football. Shit happens. Um, There should have been a red card after 19 minutes, if you ask me. Um, And Pepe, in my my books, I know there was a lot of criticism of him not holding onto the ball, not releasing, not giving it to... But I thought he had... Of all the players who looked most likely to make something happen here, I thought he was really good. Uh, overall, he g- gave me a lot of hope out of this game. Um, and so you, you you pick through this game. If we have a different result, you have a different feeling on it. 
um, we're a long way off where we need to be. Don't get me wrong. Mm. Um, but to but Arteta, yeah, come on, guys. Um, one game, uh, looking for patterns, looking for echoes through the history of Arsenal. I mean, geez. But I, I did hear a stat, something like the last 17 times in European competition, we'd gone a goal up in the first leg and then took it back home. We won. Um, so, yeah, it's incredible that this went against us. Yeah. A uh, couple of moments, uh, it all goes tits up. We weren't great in the first half. We weren't that great when we chased it after the goal. But, geez, we should have won this. Yeah, and by the way, look, I, I think to suggest that anybody is turning out, well, there are people who are going to turn on our Ted, and they're probably the people that were never on board with them to begin with. I am certainly not yeah. doing that. What I think is, on our podcast at least, Paul, he's been sort of beyond reproach, beyond criticism at all. Um, it has just basically been, he's the right guy, he's really good, wow, look what he's doing, no critique. I think, you know, look, Lionel fucking Messi, pardon my language, gets criticized for not having won a World Cup. Like, he could just single-handedly do that. There are things in football that when they're on your CV or not on your CV, you have to own them. And I do think Arsenal Football Club, not to be redundant, but let's be redundant, crashing out at this stage of this competition is so far below our stature, our quality, our capability. It is the manager's job to find a way through this tie. And he didn't. And... Is that his fault entirely? Does he wear it? Does he get sacked? Of course, none of that. But this is on his CV now. This is a data point. This is something that two seasons from now, if it didn't work out with Emery, we're going to come back to this moment. If it does work with Emery, with, with Arteta, whoops. Um, if it does work out with him, then we'll say this was a learning experience and we will see which one it becomes. But it becomes the first, in my mind, really important data point uh, uh, that isn't a positive one for me. Um and I just don't think it's allowable. I mean, Tim, you know, maybe you can't look at football that way. You can't say there's anything that is beneath the club they can't do because it's, it's a game. You go out and you play it. But, you know, if we start to kind of go back to the beginning of this game for me, mm. it was a soporific atmosphere, no offense intended to you <laughs> and your, <laughs> your uh, mates at, at the Emirates. Um, I felt that the energy and the intention in the stadium matched sort of what there was uh, on the pitch. I don't know if this came from Arteta or if it came from the players, but there was very much a feeling in the way they were playing that it was job done. I tweeted at halftime, mm. ironically, that it seemed perfectly acceptable because I kind of felt it was job done. But we were doing a lot of lateral passing, getting into the final third, and then not even with a lot of urgency, just sliding the ball side to side to side to side. To, in fairness to Pepe, he was the one guy who I felt was trying to cause real problems in the final third, create that chaos that mm. you can create. I mean, comically poor final balls or decision-making at, at points from him. We we made seven passes in the penalty area in the first half, which is more than we did in the entire Everton game, but that was seven of 19. We just lacked um, accuracy and precision in the way we were operating in the final third. Did you feel, I mean, I know it is sort of a soft factor, but did you feel that we were not sufficiently intense and urgent in our approach in that first half? Yeah, yeah, that's totally fair. Yeah, you can see that with your eyes. That that was absolutely the case. Um, yeah, really, really obviously the case, actually. And I think you're right. I think there was a sense of, um, you know, job done here. We'll score. We'll probably score eventually. But, you know, that's kind of that. Um, I, th I think what I will say is that I did think Olympiacos defended really, really well. 
it it did actually and and i think what we've seen over this two legs is is that they're a good team and but like i'm not looking to excuse arsenal by saying that uh so much but you know we've played olympiacos a lot down the years this is by far and away the best i've ever seen them and i mean that across the two legs i think they they look very good um and what they did it, do you know it reminded me a bit of the europa league final they just they just defended in their box they kind of let us have the wide areas a little bit um but you know they they didn't let Aubameyang come in he was like he was festooned way out like out way too wide and we just fell into this pattern particularly in the second half in the first half we fell into a pattern of just completely soporific directionless passing that reminded me very much of the end of uh, the Wenger reign um, really just the horseshoe stuff and then in the second half um, we just kept chucking crosses in which was exactly what Olympiacos wanted because they had centre halves who were you know, they're, 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 they have one centre-half. I've forgotten. Was it? No, it wasn't Cisse, I don't think. But one of them was wearing 66 on his back. You know, he, he looks about six. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah, Scott, Scott kind of hilariously joked that they had, uh, he was confused why they had Newcastle's two strikers, Cisse and Bopling, central defence. <laughs> <laughs> but he was, I mean, he, he must have been about six foot four, six foot five. And they were just going, go on, cross it. And we were going, all right then. <laughs> and just like lumping crosses in and it was it was I, I was expecting the, but the thing is for me as well I think we have seen this you know under Arteta we've not been able to play well for 90 minutes but at half time I thought this will pick up in the second half he'll have a bit of a go at them or or he'll have spotted something and this will change and that's what surprised me pretty unpleasantly that it kind of didn't really change. And all that happened in the second half was instead of passing aimlessly, we started crossing aimlessly. Um, and, you know, you, you just start to think, well, is there just a critical mass of crosses that we can put in <laughs> that means that one of them? And, and I mean, eventually that did happen in what the 114th minute. Um, there just happened to be one cross that wasn't quite cleared properly. But um, yeah, we, we, we in the first half, we did what we did too often under Emery, which was we wrote off 45 minutes um, of a game. And it's that's still in us. We're still doing that. And we can't do that. Like, And one of the phrases that Arteta keeps using, actually, which which I think is, is very pointed, is we're not good enough to do that. Like, we're not good enough to just work hard for a little section of the game or play well for a little section of the game. And that's, um, and but that message, I don't think that message has quite got through yet. Maybe not on the subconscious level. Mm. And, Tim, uh, so Tim yeah. do you think we've got a 90 minute game in us? It's been a uh, long time. It has been a long time. You're right. Um, it's, it's difficult to say. Probably not at the moment because, so the thing is, we had this discussion briefly today, right? I don't think that attack works. I've never thought it would. Um, I wrote about it in the summer. I, di- I didn't see how Lacazette, Aubameyang and Pepe fits together. Um, and, I, and I think so it's proving, to be quite honest. And uh, I, I think that really showed as well that, that that synergy just isn't there and that that mix of qualities and that chemistry isn't there when we play that front three together. 
and uh, we've kind of stopped doing, I think, the you know the 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 five attacking lanes thing, and it's the the shapes become a little bit more orthodox. And I think this was the first time, really, that Olympiakos, where there's enough data, right, about Arsenal under Arteta, we you know seen bits and pieces of it, but this was the first time I think it was like, right, there's ten games under Arteta now. We know what Arsenal are going to do. And you know they they tracked Saka. They didn't give him any space at all. They, which when they pushed Abamyang out, like I think Olympiakos had our number. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I I got I got to say this. I I think in general, the the way we played this game was largely just lazy and comfortable for the first half. But I also think that there was. A, a, a lack of quality too and I think maybe we can start to get into some individual performances because I think there are a few that really have to come under the microscope before we do that Clive I know you just want to sort of follow up on pattern for a minute yeah I, I think it's it's interesting what Olympiacos did they they squeezed their players into a low block okay what does that force us to do does that force us to be patient well patient turned into malaise quite quickly because we already had the lead so patience made us sort of you know we didn't have an opponent to play so we had to bring our own fire to the party. Does that mean mm-hmm. they didn't want to play us? So we had no one to, to to sort of get in transitions from. We were just passing it around, thinking they're not moving. We stopped moving. Our forwards got lazy, so we stopped moving. So we stood next to people, marked ourselves, and so what that meant was we lacked a bit of patience. So we dropped across into two six foot. <laughs> I thought it was six foot six actually, but Paul's saying six three and a half. Two six foot giants at the back, right and um. They just headed it out, right? So, so we kept going, we kept going, we kept going. No problem, because we're still winning. Now we concede. So now we, now we up the pace, and now we start to see the edges of fragility. Now we start to see the lack of ball carrying, the lack mm-hmm. of people that could beat people. Now we start to see the duplication on the right hand side with Özil and Pepe. Right, and you start to see how they almost cancel each other out. Ozil runs the ball up to Pepe, runs his space away, dumps off the ball, and now he's brought the cavalry with him. Then we then criticise Pepe for taking on four players. Well, two of them will come with Ozil. You see what I mean? It was thick football. Mm. Give him the ball early, get away from him, isolate him, so he can attack them. Switch over, inside, outside. Some mobility, some rotation. We were stupid, we were thick, we struggled under pressure, and the pressure ratcheted it up, and who was going to step up? We were all waiting for somebody else to do it. We started turning away from passes, a lack of bravery, the pressure's ratcheting up. Eventually we go to extra time. The one man who can potentially handle the pressure, the one man in the whole team, delivers, and we still manage to not play to a pattern (laughs) we still don't play the ball forward into areas where it's going to hurt them we play the ball backwards into areas where it can only hurt us Mm. that's so stupid you know and and so what this does it just brings out the issues and if i could just give a couple more minutes earlier i i i I could not stop thinking about Bayern munich during this game why? Because we, because we could do things that would excite you. We could compete with the likes of Bayern Munich because that's what I've heard. <laughs> I've heard about that, and I keep I keep wondering if it's going to happen because because they they did a really nice job at Chelsea the other night. So is is that what you're thinking? It did. 
<laughs> they did. They did a wonderful job. And I know they, they robbed the German market and get free transfers like Gertzka and Lewandowski all the rest of it. Don't so, forget Serge Gnabry. <laughs> Serge Gnabry, they do deals with other clubs, etc. But I looked at the balance of their team and it was so balanced, it was frightening. They, you know, they got a ball-playing goalkeeper in there. They've got two really tall, progressive fullbacks in Pavard and Davis. A monster in Boateng. But a ball playing lefty in Alaba as your centre back pairing. You have Thiago, who's your Santi Cazorla, stroke, Xavi mix, twisting, turning, playmaking, but a more solid one touch passer next to him in Kimmich. Dig it, they can all win, they can both win races. Everyone can win races on that team so far. Then you have a wide man in Coman, a number 10 in Muller, who spent the whole time facing the game. Touch, touch, set play, set play, spin round in the box. Gnabry banging Stuart from the left-hand side and probably the best centre-forward in Europe up front, bullocking down the middle. Mm. There's not there's not a single issue with balance. Partnerships so, sounds like Clive's off then, after buying me <laughs> supporting them. All right, there's, but, there's, but, oh, seriously, seriously, can you just can look at that team Clive? and then look at our team and some of the partnerships we don't have. But that's why we're in the Europa League and they're where they are. And, like, I guess what I would say is, you know, in, in, in American sports, like when you're in high school and stuff, there's something called the varsity team, which is where, like, the good players play. And then there's the junior varsity team, right, which is where, like, people like me played sports, right? You weren't good enough to play sports, but you still played sports. So you played sports a tear down. And, like, you know... We're in that junior varsity. We're in the Europa League. Like we, we should dominate teams like this, and we did dominate them. To be fair, I mean, look if you look you at should. XG, we dominated them. But I, I think there were clear performances in this game that that have to be examined. With a, you can't go through this game and say, "Oh, I'm sad." No, we crashed out. No, you know, maybe Arteta has to look at himself and yada yada without looking at specific performances. And I think, you know, Paul, for me, one of the things that you have to do against a weaker team, is you have to put them under some degree of stress. And the irony is, we created more threat, more stress, more danger against them in like the last 90 seconds of the game when we were just hoisting balls into their box than we did in the entire game previously. You know, they looked ropey defensively in Greece, and we should have ended the tie away. I think Lacazette has to wear a little of the responsibility there because we had big chances in the first leg. To really kill the tie. Arteta lamented that after the first leg. The tie should have been over. I mean, should have been over anyway. Uh, but but the willingness to pass laterally and the unwillingness to really probe dangerous positions. You know, you brought up Bayern Munich, Clive. I'll bring up two others. I'll bring up Red Bull Leipzig at Spurs and City at um, Madrid. Their, their ability to play progressive passes through the lines in the center of the pitch, to play in the tight spaces and turn and run at defenses. And, you know, if you look at Lacazette and Aubameyang and the positions they take up at the edge of the box, no one gave them the ball. I look at Shaq's pass map. Everything is to the fullback or to Ceballos. Ceballos' pass map. Everything is to Shaka or Bellerin or Pepe. Nothing is in to the D. Nothing is into the top of the box. Nothing central. We were scared. We were, yeah, we were scared exactly. To play. Very passive, fearful way of playing. And I don't know if it's laziness or fear, but no one wanted to take the responsibility. So, Paul, let's start with with that midfield. You know, you can talk about Mesedozo. I think it is pretty clear right now that Mesedozo is you know, he's not he's not the Mesedozo that you'd want him to be to create the maximum danger. But the beginning of the problem for me. And we'll cover a few people. Lacazette certainly has to be talked about, I think. But let's talk Shaq and Ceballos. That midfield, someone, and, and I don't know who, it, who it's going to be, but someone has to be willing 
to play those those tough dagger balls between the lines in central spaces. And I thought they both sort of abdicated that responsibility on the night. So do you think that our inability to really threaten early starts starts from the lack of, of sort of intermediate value passes from the midfield? Um, yeah, but I'll die. You know, it's one of those, the results different. You, you see a few different things like there, there's the Chaka ball through to Saka. I think it is who puts in the cross that's offside um so like while i agree with you by degree um to me the it felt like the big biggest issue was just the plodding static nature of the two midfielders i mean sabias to me is a very exciting player and yet we seem to have basically created chaka part two he's basically chaka but to the right of chaka yeah passing it around i agree yeah yeah Mm -hmm. Um, and it makes you think, well, you know, as we were all picking our um, our uh, Arsenal eleven of since the Invincible era, ironically, this week, you start thinking, well, what would a Vieira have done for you here? What would a Ramsey have done in this environment if he was that second pivot there, making runs into the box, stirring things up? Because uh, I agree with Tim. I think they did a number on us really working out how we play. They were very solid through the middle, but still the better teams, the best teams uh, can do something here. Ozil lacks that bit of athleticism. I thought the other criticism of us was, uh, I see what Clive said about Ozil, but I also saw opportunities where uh, maybe Ozil brought the cavalry to Pepe, but also Pepe wasn't very good at finding Ozil when he'd make those little runs in behind. So, you know, you could fix this performance with some, automatisms players finding each other doing the things we did to some degree just more often um but we lack there's a a physicality and a dynamism in our midfield that means we end up getting pushed around the edges um i think tim highlighted really well how quiet they kept saka so it was kind of all down to pepe on one side and i thought he did very well but that becomes predictable for those guys they can they can just make sure that they lean to Pepe's side. We couldn't get them get at them through the middle. Um, Lacazette seems neutered at the time being, and they just had to make sure Saka didn't get at them. Um, and our two boys in the middle, Chaka and and Sabias. Sabias, what the problem with playing Sabias to the right of Chaka is I think it actually limits Sabias because where he's best for me is when he gets up into the that left hand corner of the box and he starts zinging uh, passes around and he's a little bit freer to be not quite a 10 but pushed up as an attacker but we've now got him back basically symmetric with Chaka and like he's good but not great and we just lack that bit of excitement but I guess you'd say that was what Ozil was on the pitch for and Ozil's a little off so we're all just you know we have players who are good but not great and on a night when we're a little off when uh, when we're not cranking it the way we should, where, and was it Ferguson who used to say, you'll never get 11 players on the field having a great game on the, in the same match, but you, you need six, you know, seven or eight maybe. And we had maybe two or three who looked like they were kind of hitting it. And for some reason, we just looked tired, lackadaisical, and then we started playing safe. 
Yeah, and, and I think you do have to make the point. I think we did look tired. Um, you know, if we're going to, again, point to things that the manager is responsible for at some level, um, especially having had a two-week break and how you use that time and how you rotate the squad, like freshness is is one of the things that, that a coach is sort of responsible for. Clive, I, I know these balance issues are important. I'll come back to you on that with the because I think the Pepe and Ozil conversation lends itself well to the balance issue as well. Two lefties who like to drift inside who – seem a little duplicative and, and we're a little duplicative maybe on the night, but, but Tim, I want to talk Lacazette for a minute. Um, you know, look, I, I maybe went over my ski tips a little with a tweet about Lacazette last night, as you can imagine. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it, it is deeply concerning. I mean, this is, this is not a player we found in the bargain bin. This is a 50 million pound striker. We signed to be our upgrade on Olivier Giroud. Uh, he is on six league goals this season. I, I don't think his overall play has been fantastic. He's He's got two more, I think, in Europe. Um, I thought this was a really poor performance from him. He had chances that he didn't take. He looks tentative, trying to get the ball out of his feet. He makes weird choices. I mean, the stooping header he tried, I'm not, I'm not sure why that was the way he felt he needed to attack that ball. Um, the ball's not really sticking. And I thought that Arteta stayed with him too long when it was clear... It, it wasn't on for him. Interestingly, James Gunnerblog on on the Arscast was saying he watched him in warmups and he was shanking all his shots in warmup. Um, mm. I sort of wonder where you stand with Lacazette now in terms of this performance and and in terms of Arteta maybe not making the hard decision to to swap him out for the very energetic and active and dangerous Martinelli a little sooner. Yeah, yeah, that that, that certainly should have happened sooner. I think. Um, I mean, the thing is with Lacazette at the moment, right? I mean, it's, it's so Arteta's played in Ketia in the last two Premier League games. Um, and I, I, you know, in, in writing a piece last week, I, I looked up uh, some of the stuff Arteta had been saying. And, and, you know, he said, like, look, I had the conversation with Lacazette. You're not scoring goals. So I'm, I'm going to take you out. Uh, and obviously he's scored a couple of goals since then. The thing that worries me really about Lacazette, I mean, first of all, this is like a proper slump now. This is this is all season. And I think um, I was never expecting him to have a, a, like a good first few months of the season because of that ankle injury he got. Um, and I don't know if he was still carrying that for a while. But, you know, I've said this before. Anyone who gets injured at that point of preseason never starts the season well uh, when they come back. But the, the thing that really worries me um, about this is... I mean, first of all, I think this summer we should be looking to move him on um, and we should be looking at buying forward players who are more suited to playing with Pepe and Martinelli because they are the future of our attack. The, the thing is for that, La- and so obviously Lacazette being in a massive slump, uh, you know, would hit the sale price. But I think more kind of, um, shall we say, footballistically than that, Lacazette's got the least excuse of everyone in that front line to be playing like this because it's as much as you know I've said on recent podcasts that center that central kind of pin is not glamorous work it it's work that Lacazette's usually quite good at um I think or at least decent at or certainly much better than he's showing at the moment and one of the reasons I think Arteta has been you know, cautious about taking him out is because he doesn't see those qualities in Abamyang and Martinelli, who he wants for that inside left position. And so, you know, he's he's had probably more chances than he's deserved because of that, um, and because Arteta clearly thinks only Inketia and Lacazette can play that role. But as much as it's not a glamorous role, it's not like Lacazette is like 
he's not a Bamiyang, right? He's not an absolute killer. He's not the guy, I don't think, who really, really wants to be the number nine getting in front of goal. Like doing that kind of the spade work, I I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I'm projecting, but I think he's quite happy doing that. That seems to be the work he gravitates to more. Mm. And actually, the way this front line is constructed is almost saying, right, you're you're quite good at doing that and you like doing that. So I'm going to give you a role where that's your role. And actually, you're not the primary goal scorer because we're going to just stick a Bamiyang to your left and he's the primary goal scorer. And, and so even... Even then, when the kind of pressure is off of Lacazette a bit to be a goal scorer, and he's just doing all the off the ball stuff, almost like I don't know the Danny Welbeck stuff, almost. He's not even, he's not doing that well. That that's the that's the really big problem. Yeah. Like that, you know, the scoring, the barren scoring run was a problem. Don't get me wrong, but the fact that he's not even doing like the link up play very well, and he's not holding his defender off, and you know, he's not po- like one of the things he used to be really quite good at was like popping off like the one touch pass. And, um, you know, I won't go into this too much because it's not massively relevant to the question. But that that was a malaise all over the pitch last night. Just players taking extra touches. Yeah, absolutely. Taking f- fucking ages to get simple passes under Why control. Why was moving so slowly, too? Do you notice that like Ceballos' well, passes across the pitch were like practically roll, like barely rolling to their part to their intended they're target. They're going really slowly or Xhaka in the first 10 minutes just decided that like Saka was a goalkeeper or something who, <laughs> yeah. who who needed to be beaten with like a powered finish. He kept like walloping the ball at him and I was, you know, we were just like, what are you doing? Like, why do you keep doing this? Mm. Um, but yeah, like even like he's not even doing that, you know, bumping the ball off. He's not holding it up. He's losing it. You know, physically to me, he looks, he looks pretty short. And like I don't know, I don't know what the problem is because even with Pepe, you can say, well, he's not really playing a role that suits him, and you could say not so much the role about Özil, but he doesn't have a lot of movement around him. Like, there's kind of excuses for other players that I don't think are there for Lacazette. Yeah, and and I mean, it is it is weird, right? We 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 have a love affair with our strikers. We just do. I mean. I think the shortcomings in Giroud were evident. Everybody knows how I feel about that, obviously. But um, everybody loved him. You know, good-looking guy, nice guy, knew how to, you know, kiss the badge. People loved him. And people love Lacazette. And and I get it. I mean, you those that's a glamour position. It's a position where you want to like the guy. I think Lacazette is very likable. I think his friendship and bromance with Aubameyang plays into that. Um but as a result, I I don't know that the scrutiny is necessarily there. I mean, the idea that he was our player of the season last season speaks to the fact that his likability maybe outweighs his his importance, um, which is maybe harsh. But but that's just where I I feel with him. And I, you know, I think you're right. All over the pitch, there was a lack of of ability or willingness or urgency to cause them threat. And and you just have to look. The way we panicked late is disgusting. They panicked late too and should have lost it at the absolute death and just get the ball into the box. Find ways to get the ball into that, you know, that area in the center of the box where they have to make a clearance, where they can shit the bed. I mean, they looked like they wanted to hand it back to us and we just never really did that. There was that one Pepe move where he he cut to the end line and beat his man and then cut back inside and beat his man and then cut back to the end line and beat his man. It's like, just pass it. Just pass it. So Clive, to, to your point about balance... You know, I mean, the one thing I will say about the left side 
with Saka and, and Aubameyang is it sort of works, especially with Saka kind of playing like a, a winger and a wing back, and Aubameyang is an inside forward. And and to be fair, I mean, we we nearly had a goal. It was offside, pretty well offside. Saka sliding it across to Lacazette. But on the right side, I think in Ozil and Pepe, something just doesn't work there. I mean, Pepe didn't seem to want to give it to Ozil, for starters. When Ozil would try to go beyond him or overlap, he, he, he didn't look for him a lot. He wants to cut inside. He wants to be the guy making taking the shot or making the finish. By the way, we should say, the curled shot he put between the defender's leg that their keeper went down low to save is a really sharp save. And that that could have been the moment. But So is that a big area uh, where we have a problem in attack in your mind? The sort of We talked about Ceballos and Chaka maybe being redundant, but is there a bit of redundance between Ozil and, and Pepe in the way they want to play? It's a very difficult game because we didn't have an opponent. Right, so they just all they did was they marked space, they marked zones, they gave us some areas, and they took other areas away. Right, so it makes it very difficult for a collective passing team like Arsenal. So the way Shaka and Abamyang, the reason why that works, is not where they stand, it's what they do. Right, so Saka's got the ability to run through lines. He wants to run through lines. His big trick, his big trick, sorry, is his timing of runs, and his final delivery is ice cold perfection. Right, so so having Shaka behind Saka, um, it's really important that Shaka gets him off, gets him going. And it rhymes, he, which is so important. Yeah, I just felt he didn't last night. I felt he turned away from an obvious trick. And so a lot of people saying that he was blocked off. I didn't sense it. I felt there were times he he, he made good runs and didn't get the ball. Agreed. I yep. think he had he had he had the legs on his man. I thought I don't agree with that at all. Um, and once he gets going, because he's brave, he don't give a shit. He'll just do what he wants to do. He doesn't care what day it is. He doesn't hold, He doesn't hide his game. He doesn't find a hole to frame himself into. He says, I'm going to do this because I'm good at this. And then the other spark off of him. Right. So on the right-hand side, I've said for a while now, I feel that Ozil and Pepe bring a similar skill set. I, I even went to the, the thoughts of looking at Ozil at Schalke when he was young, at Werder Bremen, sorry, when he was really young. And if you look at him then, he's very similar to what Pepe is today. Very tricky winger, very quick, run through lines, dribbling player, one-twos, get it back, banging shots. And I then, I've told him this today, there's a video that came out on Tifo Football about nine months ago, talking about Pepe, how he exploded at Lille. And basically, they let him be creative. They let him roam, got him on the ball. He always beat first mans, combined with quick-running players, and he's a killer finisher. I thought, Arsenal have got to do this. But the only way they can do this is not by playing him and Ozil together. Then it becomes a question of, well, who do we invest in? There's only one to invest in. right? So I was always looking for who can we play on the right side to combine with him. Hence my favour for Maitland-Niles or even Nelson, they tried Martelli out there, it didn't work. Then Martelli's now making a great case to be the centre forward or just to the left-hand side. It doesn't really matter because him and Aubameyang would rotate because their movement is outstanding. I think it would spark of each other. But we haven't got that right-sided player that needs to be on the extremities of the team. And I do not believe any longer we can have Pepe on the sideline with three or four men, three feet away from the touchline, facing him up. I just don't think he's an effective use of a talent. If we've invested this money in him, let him play inside. If he messes up, then we've messed up and we have to get rid of him. But we can't misuse him continually for a player, which I feel is on the decline. 
and we just have to move past. Talent's not an issue. Either ability and consistency or delivery of that talent has been an issue for about a couple of years now. And it's something that's holding us back, in my opinion. And I just want to move past it and find out if there's something else there. I think the improvements in Tobias recently, um, how we could use Gwendu to particularly away from home slightly higher up, it doesn't, we don't need to be so dependent on this player. I think it's something that's holding other people away. I think it's not, when you're talking about balance, it's, it's not about, it's about how you coexist with your nearest player and those balance of attributes. And we've got too many dead partnerships where the two people are both slow. Our centre-half is quite small. Our right-back at the moment is quite weak and underpowered. You know, we've got too many things not quite right in this group for us to reach where we need to get to. And the reason why I mentioned Bayern Munich, I I know it's a different quality of player. But what it highlights to me their recruitment strategy and knowing what they want for a left back knowing what they want for a right back knowing the profile of player they want in the centre of their midfield and they seem to buy players that fit a model exactly and coincidentally Liverpool do something similar and I think we are not at that stage yet but my mind's already in next year and we need to look at these examples and absolutely nail what an Arsenal fullback looks like and buy him to the inch don't have his underpowered, undersized, one-dimensional technical or one-dimensional physical players that are not able to fix the problems that Olympiakos presented to us last night. Mm, yeah, and isn't you go ahead, please. Just, just like one line here is, is like the real issue here, right? Is we bought Pepe for seventy-two million, and we're still talking about how we use him. We, yeah. we bought the player, and now we're thinking about how the team fits around him, rather Absolutely. than identifying the hole and going right. That's the player we need for, and and that's really what has to improve as an absolute matter of urgency. Yeah. Absolutely, we're just throwing money away. Just throwing, we're throwing years away. Actually, we've thrown one year of Pepe away. Well, we've been doing this a while. I mean, when we bought Shaka and Arsene Wenger was first asked about him, he said he was a box-to-box midfielder. Um, You know, I mean, we we bought Lacazette and Aubameyang, you know, one window apart. I mean, you can go go all down the line. The the Kolasinac transfer, you know, a wing back when we were at the time a back four team. Like, just a lot of very strange decisions along the way. And, Paul, I, I think one of the things that I questioned is why the hell we wanted Cedric when we loaned him. I still think it's a ridiculous loan. I still don't think it makes the slightest bit of sense. But what I will say is it's the first time last night that I looked at Hector Bellerin and thought, yikes, Um, it's a long road back from this injury. It is several months too soon to draw any conclusions about the level he will get to. And I think as a passer and in possession and technically, he is still excellent. He's lucky Mustafi was our best player on the pitch last night, and I can't believe I uttered those words. And that losing him probably lost us the game. I can't believe I uttered those words. But Bellerin, I I mean, to say that he lost a step is a disrespect to the number of steps he lost. He, at this point, he is running through treacle. And, And not just that, but just defensively, he looked so vulnerable. I mean, do you look at that game and come away with any more concerns about Bellerin? Maybe not in the long term, because the the recovery path is long. The irony is Rob Holding not playing at all is protecting his reputation coming back from a long-term injury. The reason Bellerin's reputation is getting hurt is because he's being played back into form. So I I have a lot of sympathy for that. But at this point, do you have concerns that maybe he 
he shouldn't be playing right now. And and just the degree to which last night he looked arguably as poor as he has since he's come back. Yeah, and it's weird. And like if you wanted to put another bullet in the chamber for uh, frustrations with Arteta, I mean, he had a really promising right back in Maitland-Niles. Um yeah, his decision to, to teach him a lesson right now is is arguably costing his team because he could have used him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now there could be. We don't know why, right? So, mm-hmm. who knows what what has happened, et cetera, et cetera. So we have less than half the information. We have a fraction of it. It, it makes no sense, though. Um, something must have happened because. Uh, unless all of us are total idiots, which is a possibility also, but oh, unlikely. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, some of us, yes, all of us, as Abraham Lincoln once said, very unlikely. Um, what's gone on there? Because, uh, yeah, uh, Hector, Hector's always a weird one to, to, to analyze for pace. He's definitely way slow, but he always had that really short little... Uh, sprinting style where he's going really fast. He just doesn't look like he is. Now he's doesn't look like he is and he isn't. Um, he got dribbled past in this game. He looks a bit, you know, when you, ha- when you haven't got your superpower like speed, I think it impacts your confidence in terms of the game. He's been very conservative in terms of how he's been used. We've assumed to some degree that's Arteta saying, oh, well, I need one of you guys to tuck in. And Saka is not much of a fullback, so he needs to push forward. So you need to sacrifice yourself, Hector. But it might actually be more a reflection of where Hector's game is at at the moment. He's a long ways off from being that uh, enterprising right back uh, we we thought we had and we think we need. So... Mm. It's very concerning, but but what? I, on the other hand, what's to be concerned about? <laughs> we, it seems like we don't have much of a choice, and he's our conservative option. But um, man, is he getting run past as well? I mean, for for somebody to dribble past Hector uh, and boss him, um, you know, he's a ways off. He could be a bit slow and still be faster than most of those players. And mm. yeah, he he's underpowered and it seems to be impacting his game overall. He's not as physical defensively. Maybe I'm just projecting here. But when we had three or four or five people not being physical against set pieces, you know, he's one of them. Yeah, I I, I love Hector and I am going to be very, very patient waiting for him to come back to his best. But I got to agree with you that like, you can't play Socrates at right back. Cedric isn't ready. It would certainly be helpful to have Maitland-Niles right now. Tim, let me just ask you a couple of quick questions. First of all, mm. I thought Arteta was slow to react and, and change it. I think, you know, in, in general, if you look, you know, I hate to bring up like Manchester City, you know, Clive's bringing up Bayern Munich, I'm bringing up Manchester City. We're not at the level of those teams, but like, look at the way they played at Real Madrid, right? Like, they just pushed for goals because... At the end of the day, if you, if you back yourself to be the better team and you believe that you can go out and, and outscore the opposition, then, then go play that way. I, I don't think we had the urgency to get the goals. And I, I, I think especially in the second half, when it was 1-0 to Olympiacos, we looked a little scared of our shadow and we definitely didn't know whether to stick or twist. So I, I was hoping that the changes would come sooner and be more proactive. But one in particular that I, you know, I, I did not understand was Willock for Bellerin. I understand wanting to get Bellerin out of the firing line. The Willock substitution is weird to me. Um, 
I have to admit that where I am with Joe Willick right now is I think that in his best moments, he does some exciting things, but that his average level is too far below where we need. And I'm curious to get your take on Arteta turning to that player in that moment with that much on the line. Um, you know, when he has a guy, for example, like Genduzi, who has more experience than Willick and, and you know, has, has played in more higher profile situations. He's got him on the bench. He has some other options of players that are a little more experienced and dangerous. Was that a head scratcher for you? A little bit, yeah. And and he did that thing again last night, Arteta. He changed his mind a couple of times. He was going to bring Martinelli on earlier and then he sent him back out to warm up. Um, I, I think we can say with, with some degree of confidence that substitutions are, are an area where Arteta's got some learning to do. Um, I, I, the only thing I can think, well, so I think he brought Willock on because Arsenal would just crying out for a ball carrier. They were crying out for someone to carry the ball, try and run in behind the Olympiacos defence and just try and do something a bit different. And in that respect, I understand why he went for Willock. Um, why it was Willock for Bellerin, I'm not sure. Like, I understand taking Bellerin off, definitely. Um, so I understand putting Willock on and I understand taking Bellerin off, but I don't understand... Willock for Bellerin. I don't think any of the players quite understood it. They didn't, you know, because you watch players really, particularly when a sub happens and you think, I don't know what's going on here. Like, uh, this isn't like for like, and I can't work out what's about to happen. So you watch what the players say when they come on, and therefore you get a good idea of how it's received. And I, I don't think everyone everyone kind of looked, what? Mm. what what's we're, we're doing what like no one really seemed to understand it and it was you know it's very lopsided and yeah I, I i i got who we brought off i kind of got who we brought on D- didn't see why it was that way around though um i think and you know maitland niles can carry the ball um as well and he can get beyond and i i think he I think Maitland-Niles for Bellerin would have made more sense. Yeah, I mean, and and it keeps a system that the the players are comfortable in and adds maybe a little bit more freshness, fitness, dynamism, whatever you want to say. I mean, the one thing I'll say is there were so many situations, and one in particular that comes to mind, where Willick did what you're talking about. He carried the ball forward, and Saka's there just begging for a little slip pass in behind him. I mean, he's got all the space to run into, and Willick just holds that ball so long. He does not want to give the final ball. And I realize it's tough picking on him on a night when Pepe did it a hell of a lot as well, but it didn't help having a second guy on who did that. Um, I want to get your take on one other thing. To what extent are you willing to lay some of this at the feet of, of Leno? I, it is very, very unfair to take a player who has been very, very important and had a very, very good season and lay it at his feet, especially considering that putting it out for a corner doesn't lose you the game. You still have to manage to let them score from that corner. Um, and I think mm. Socrates has to take a big, long look at himself there. He's just not a good player. He hasn't been for a long time. But you could also say Leno should maybe come out for that cross too. H- how much are you willing to lay at Leno's feet for the errors late? So I think Arteta said, um, you know, it was an unacceptable error. I, I think it's a really bad error, yeah. Um, one, one of the things that people who'd seen him at his previous club said, was that he's like generally quite a good solid goalkeeper, but he does just make mistakes sometimes, and that 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 was a big mistake. It wasn't the best pass back to him, but um, it's um, just it's, kick it long. You can't lose if the go- if the ball's on the halfway line. Yeah, you can't lose it's, the tie. It's 
it's boneheaded, let's be honest. And it's only because, understandably, we feel quite generous towards Leno at the moment and he's had a fairly good season. But, you know, look at it when, you know, the big pressure moment in the Premier League this season against Chelsea, he he lost his head. He lost his head here. Um, maybe, you know, that's too small a sample size to say that that's something, you know, that that's firmly planted within him. But... You know, those, those are those are two big moments. And you're right, the corner comes in and we should do, you know, but it, it's just it's just a boneheaded um, concession of a corner. Um, it, it really is. It's a it's a mistake that didn't need to happen. Um, yeah, it's it it's a really bad one. It's a really it's bad one. Situational obviously, awareness. It's not in. Yeah, it, it's obviously not entirely his fault because some stuff happens afterwards. But. Um, yeah, I, I think should he, he has come to, to claim the cross that they score? In your mind, should he come to claim that cross? I or at can't least come off his line. It. It's an in-swinging sort of low-whipped ball. Socrates lets his man just totally go running behind him. I don't think he necessarily can get there, but he stays on his line, so it becomes essentially a tap-in. Arteta's comments made it sound like we made it too easy for him. No, Socrates certainly did. Um, yeah, I think he's got to come. Yeah, quite possibly. I, I I think his defenders let him down a little bit there. I think perhaps he was entitled, and particularly having just made a really silly error, uh, I'm sure that had some impact. And he thought, well, I, d- I don't want to, you know, come out and I don't know, wipe someone out or come out unnecessarily. And and it did all, all unfold very quickly. Um, yeah, yeah, he he probably should have on balance. I, I don't think that's a a massive error um, as such. I think he could have easily come out and got it completely wrong. Um, but the the concession of the corner that's that's just stupid. Yeah, and and look, I mean, this situational awareness thing. We started with this at the the start of the pod. What is it with players who just make bad choices when it matters most? I mean, if I have to watch mm-hmm. Granite Shaka take another thirty five yard twenty twenty five yard thirty yard shot, like I get it, he's scored a couple of them. It's still a bad shot. Possession matters. Keeping the yeah. ball matters. You know, when we were after Aubameyang scores and we're winning. There were a couple of situations even before they got the goal back where they're kind of running at us four on four, you know, four on three. Like, they, yeah, yeah. that shouldn't happen. I mean, yeah, yeah. The, the funny thing is they looked like they could not trouble us to save their life. They were not dangerous by any means, but we made the danger possible. It sounded like you wanted to chime in there, Tim. Yeah, yeah. No, I was just going to say about that that Xhaka shot. That that was actually the one time of the night um, where where I did actually get angry because everyone keeps shouting "shoot" at him, well, and the why? thing is, Xhaka's an emotional player, and he responds to that. And it, and when that happened, it was just one of those times where I kind of got up and did my. Uh, you know, friends, Romans, countrymen, address of those around me. And I think I said something like, how many times do you cunts have to watch this guy wallop the ball 40 yards over the bar before you stop shouting, shoot at him for fuck's sake, stop it. Not just because it's stupid, but because he fucking does it. And it's really, really irritating. And, you know, about one in 150 of them actually goes in. Stop it. Stop shouting shoot at Granite Xhaka. Yeah. Please. I, I, if that's all you take away from this podcast, <laughs> we've, we've <laughs> achieved something important. Clive, I, you know, look, I can't believe I'm even about to ask this this way, but I've seen it on social media a bit and wondered about on Discord as well. It's like, Aubameyang scores a bicycle kick that should put us through, so it's really, really hard to say what I'm about to say, but if you're going to criticize a goalkeeper for, you know, kicking the ball out for a corner under no pressure... How much is on Aubameyang for missing 
you know, the sitter. It's it's a 30% chance by XG measurement. It's a chance you expect him to put away. It's to win the game. Um, Tim owns this, by the way, because he pointed out on a recent pod that Obama Yang is outperforming his XG this season and has been <laughs> on a hot finishing streak. So send your um, and he's right. angry and tweets he's to right. Stilberto. But I mean, is it just beyond churlish to to point any fingers at, at Obama Yang? Or is it fair to say, look, you have to score that there and win that game? You can point fingers because you were disappointed. And then you point fingers back at yourself because he's been carrying the club on his back for yeah. a little while now. 20 goals, so, is it, so far? Yeah. And how many other goal involvement and how much space he's banked for others. So, you know, we're all disappointed. And it was it was a chance that came to him. He probably never thought it was going to come. He couldn't wait for the ball to get there. And he just took it too early and then pushed it past the near post. It was back to... Pressure football, and uh, I, I, we have to ask ourselves a question. You know, we we, we really do, and and I'm not sure we're ever going to get the answer, to be honest, because doing those things, those normal things that footballers do all of the time on a regular basis, is what they're trying. They're all trying to achieve. They're all trying to achieve this level of consistency. And Bam Yang is no different. Funny enough, the goal he did score, it was a great goal. But all of us know he can do, he can do that. Do you know what I mean he can definitely do that? He's got the athleticism in more than anybody to do that. And when he did that, he absolutely nailed it. But we also know because we know him so well, he's got ability to do what he did in the last minute and miss that side footer. And he and he has improved on these sitters, but it's still there in his DNA. And it's just something that I you know I was good to see that so many. Um, People have messaged him today and he's come out and done a message on Instagram and I think it's very important, but you couldn't help but look at him last night and what did you see? You saw somebody that was devastated. Was it sort of like era ending? Uh, I'm not so sure, but was it something seminal? I don't know, but it felt it felt eerily like, oh my God, this could be it for him. Do you know what I mean? It really could be it for him. And in, I'm, I'm, my head's already in next season, so I'm talking about next season. So I hope I'm wrong. Um, I like him. I like what he brings to the club. I like his work ethic. I like his I like his star mentality. I like, how he's, I like his team play. I like what he tries to be, and he's coachable, and he does things that people don't want to do. He's a trier, and he works very hard. He's an unbelievable athlete at 30. I hope he wants to stay, but they're the sort of people you want in your club, you know, and there are some that I think we just need to say, you know what, it's, we need to make a call and we need to upgrade and go again. But I hope he's not one of them that goes. Yeah, I I love the player. And I'll tell you, I mean, just watching the way that game plays out, watch the last five minutes again. I mean, don't, obviously don't, but <laughs> it's like, Watching us take it to the corner and dribble it off our own foot, shoot from 35 yards out, put a, put a ball, the, the goalkeeper put a ball out for a corner, a center back let a man run off him, and just how much space, by the way, that we don't have everybody in the box defending uh, off a corner. Like, just everything that you can do wrong in high-pressure situations. And uh, it, it just feels like we've seen Arsenal do that way, way too many times, and I, for one, am ready to never see it again. And, Paul, I'll give you a final question here, and I know you have to go, and we all really do anyway. And why would anybody want to listen to this at this point anyway? But um, just in terms of what this means, I mean, if you're Raul and Vinay, the team has just made your job a lot harder. You know, whether you have any sympathy for them, I certainly do not. 
um, and Adu I should throw in there as well, but like 60 million euros down the drain uh, on top of what we already don't have from being in the Champions League. Prestige down the drain. An escape route to the Champions League down the drain. Where do you see this going in terms of can Arteta lift the team to make a push for top five, top four in the league? And how devastating could the repercussions of this be in terms of trying to continue rebuilding the squad to something coherent? It's a sad, sad situation. I feel like I've heard um, that one before on this pod, yeah, sadly. Yeah, but for a different manager. I'll tell you one ex-manager who really enjoyed this result. Uh, no, I won't. Um, no, it's it's made things very, very difficult. I mean, the chances of us winning the Europa League were low um, just because it's a knockout competition. and there Because is actually we can't stif- get by the round of 32, is that why? <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that too. <laughs> Uh, but whatever we were at, nine to one, eight to one. So we were going to lose at some stage, in all probability. But this is a terrible time to. This is massively just deflating. Uh, we're just kind of on the up. We're putting a run together, and it all, you know, it, it's a. You got a series of dominoes there. If we'd had a good run, uh, lasted longer, kept the momentum going, got the run going during the for the Premier League maybe we push on to the Europa League places in the Premier League and maybe if we get really really lucky but it's a massively long shot we have a shot of getting fifth and we get that city place so there's a lot of dependencies here if things go well if they got this is way too early to lose uh, the heartening part of it was how much the players clearly uh, cared about this not just Aubameyang you saw Louis Luis uh, pretty much inconsolable at the end. You saw uh, Lacazette giving Aubameyang a real pep talk uh, as he was, uh, got, uh, I think that was at the, uh, just before the added time. Um, Arteta and, and the whole team heavily invested in this. So there's, the upside is there's a lot of belief here in these guys and a lot of esprit de corps. Uh, but they're probably going to have to take this apart in the summer and put it back together again. So that's probably all for now. Um, it's painful. Um, but what can we salvage from this year? We've got an FA Cup and a run at the Premier League. But this Europa League's a real uh, kick in the, the nads here. And I think it's going to have a perhaps a significant impact on the morale and the direction and the... Uh, the trajectory of this team, which impacts on those two competitions. Sorry to be a bit of a downer. Mm. It was one of those situations where I woke up this morning and thought, did that really happen? Did that yeah. really happen? Maybe maybe Aubameyang scored the, the one at the end. I forgot. It's one of those, you know, not only do you say, did that really happen, but you ever had this happen, you guys, where like, when you watch the replay or when you watch a replay, you expect it to happen differently. Like, I watched the replay of Aubameyang's chance at the death, and there's a still tiny a part, a, a tiny part of me that was like, come on. Put it in. Maybe maybe you scored it. And he seems it. to catch it so well. In fact, visually, it looks to me. I thought it went in at it the time. It hits the pole at, at the back of the net. I think you're right. The stanchion or whatever. I, I thought it went in yeah. as well. Yep. Uh, yeah. And I I just got to say in his defense, I mean, it's a, it's a 0.3 xg on that shot. It's a one in um, three chance. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now it xg is a blunt instrument per game and certainly per shot. So that doesn't mean it's 0.3, but. It, you know, it's a big, big chances aren't 50-50. They also, almost I mean, never Paul, are. It's, it's a skill. It's also 120 minutes into a football match where he's been up and down the pitch all night for his third time in, in ten, you know, in eight days. I mean, yeah, it's 
he should score it, but I, I get where you're coming from. And, yeah, but I, I think mm-hmm. he should score it, even that's in quotes, because like they all miss them. Uh, there's plenty of messy big moments where he missed too. So you know, it's just one of those things to 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 to. Uh, and the other point I'll throw in because uh, Clive was messaging me in the chat was. Hector needs to eat some ham sandwiches for lunch. Enough. Okay. Pause on Twitter. Pause right. on my pants. Thanks, pause. Bye, guys. Bye. Uh, Tim, I'll let you go, but just real quick as your final word, if you had to guess now if the gutting impact of this elimination, if if Arteta is able to lift them, rally them, and push on for a really heroic finish in the league, or if it sinks us lower, if you just had to take a gamble on which one, which do you predict? Um, I... I I think it will be neither, so I'll say rally. Just par, I, like, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I don't, I don't think we'll fall into the depths of despair and lose four or five games in a row. I, th- I think we'll just kind of poodle along till the end of the season. I do think we'll beat Portsmouth, though. I'll take it. Paul, uh, Tim's on Twitter, Stilberto. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure, as always. Clive's on Twitter at Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. A brutal occasion. I mean, one genuinely woke up this morning like, did that really happen? It did really happen, and I'm sorry that it did. Uh, be nice to each other. Let's not tear each other apart. We're all going to react differently, as I think Paul said well, but all we have is each other. We're in it together, so be good to each other uh, because we're, we are going to suffer through this together and hopefully better things on the horizon. Um, we'll leave it there. We'll talk to you after the Pompey game on Monday, but what I will do to lift your spirits, I reward you by leaving you with an advertisement for the Shmoo. How about that? We'll talk to you after Arsenal 10, Portsmouth No. Okay, it's time to tell you about the Shmoo, the craze that's been sweeping both sides of the Atlantic. They're asking, we Shmoo, do you? It's time to find out if the Shmoo is right for you. You can go to the Shmoo right now. That's theshmoo.com. Now, we need to clarify, due to pending litigation, that that is the Shmoo, S-H-M-E-W.com, not the Shmoo, S-C-H-M-O-O.com. That's obvious. But again, due to pending litigation, we need to clarify that. So right now, the folks at the Shmoo want to get you signed up. And if they do, they are running a great campaign for October. Everybody who signs up in the month of October is eligible to get a free bottle of Dracar Noir sent to you postage paid. That's a free bottle of Dracar Noir sent to you postage paid. So it's time to go to the schmoo.com, sign up and find out if you schmoo. Now, of course, the Shmoo is part of the Black River Conglomerate Industries, so they cannot send the Dakar Noir to Croatia for reasons that should be obvious. But other than that, you are eligible. So go there now, theshmoo.com. That's S-C-H-M-O-O.com. Theshmoo, S-C-H-M-O-O.com. Do it now. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance.
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. 